You know, I have to admit, Tongo is probably the most interesting fictional game Star Trek came up with. Like, I would love to play some kind of version of that or have that be a mini-game or something. You know, there's just stuff, there's possibilities there. Of course, I've always been a fan of cards in general, so what the hell do I know? This episode, well, I mentioned something unpleasant to talk about. Now, I'm only going to bring this up briefly because it's relevant for this episode, but by the time they were starting the pre-production work of this episode, Terry Farrell had already reached the point where she knew that she was going to be bowing out of the show. Now, I've decided after a little bit of thought, I'm not going to talk about the specifics of that or really dig into that until we get to the season finale for season six. But I do need to bring it up because she was the one who suggested just kill Dax off. Have Judzia die out here. And then, you know, whatever you're going to do after that. Worf goes on and does the mission and lets his wife die. I mean, think about how much of an anchor that would be around him. Actually, that's not even the, sorry, that's a bad weight, uh, a bad terminology. It's, it'd be more accurate to say, think about a weight that would be to carry around for the rest of his life. Yeah, you let your wife die. Good job. And you know how much of a romantic wharf is. Now I'm going to kind of circle back around to that point later. First thing I want to talk about is David Livingston, who, of course, directed this episode. Now, I've praised him many times. He's one of my favorite Star Trek directors, right up there with Frakes. And he does a very good job with a lot of this episode. He manages to do a lot to make what is actually a fairly small, outdoorsy set look like it's much larger than it is. Make it look like they're actually trekking kilometers and kilometers of ground. So it's, it's, it's good stuff. And, of course, he knows how to bring the camera in close because this is a character episode. This is a character piece. Now, in addition to this being a character piece, it's a story whose script is, uh... How do I phrase this? You ever have someone ask you one of those what-if questions? And your response is, well, how are we in this situation? Why don't I just do this thing to get around the question? See, the point is, those kind of what-if questions are more about how you answer the question rather than actually trying to come up with a real solution, right? Um... That's kind of the point, you know, is to, is to have an internal character analysis kind of a thing. This episode feels like one of those scenarios, because I can think of at least five different ways they could have re found another way to make this work, rather than sending these two people on one new runabout for days on this mission. Like, I mean, come on. You have how many other people from how many other ships who are how much more capable... And just, whatever. Moving on. <clears throat> so. I mean, they even have a fleet now. The Ninth Fleet. It's right there. You have ships with cloaks. Anyways. I know a cloak isn't perfect, but come on. So. <clears throat> we cut. So Alright, we'll move forward. They're doing the mission. Whatever. We see Worf being accommodating. And it's actually really good to see that. I know that sounds strange. Michael Dorn actually has more range on his acting than I think some people are aware of. Because most people I know know him as Worf. Where he doesn't breathe, he doesn't branch out all that much in terms of how he portrays Worf. Of course he doesn't. Worf is Worf. I'm not saying Worf is a bad character. I'm just saying this kind of shows how Dorn is really good with that completely dry, straight-faced humor. He's actually very good at it, and he does a great job in the episode. And this isn't really an analysis so much as it was just a treat watching him and uh, Terry Farrell play off of each other. In fact, this is the first and possibly only episode 
where I actually believed the romance between Worf and Jadzia. I'm not sure if that was in any way informed by the real-life stuff going on at this time, because people knew Farrell was leaving, or if it's just a coincidence of the way they're portrayed, or if it's maybe they just threw themselves into the role, or it just clicked, or maybe Livingston really poured him out, or maybe the script just managed to nail it just right. I'm not sure. I'm actually curious of your guys' thoughts, because, like I said, I actually bought it, and that's important for what's coming up. So... <laughs> He actually has this great bit. So he's accommodating. He's changing for her. And that's not necessarily a bad thing after all. You know, Changing in order to be more accommodating to someone you love, whether romantically or otherwise, is a fairly common thing. If you've ever had a roommate, that's it's you can do it for even someone you don't love. So, you know, okay, I'm with that. But what I love even more is that he actually manages to upset her by pointing out how stuck in her ways she is. And she's like, I'm not stuck in my ways. No, you really, really are. And he just... He goes down the list of all of the things that she's stuck in her ways in. And I love it. Because that actually makes perfect sense to me. Real-life humans get more stuck in our ways the older we get. The way I like to think of it mentally, if you want a visual metaphor, is imagine you're walking a path, and this path is the pattern of how you live your life. You do this for 20, 30, 40 years, this is going to be quite a bit of a ride, right? That's not necessarily a bad thing, as some people seem to indicate. It's just that's kind of how human beings tend to be. She's 300-some. Logic. Anyways, <laughs> I also do like seeing Worf in a good mood in general, as I already mentioned. And this is actually really unfortunate, because the next thing that happens is, is, is he sees it as a consequence of him being more accommodating, being more jovial, whatever you want to call that, uh, they get into close contact with the Jem'Hadar, and she gets shot. Now, I'd like to say it's not a fatal shot, but the Jem'Hadar use anticoagulant weapons, which is uh, mean. That is really unpleasant. And we see why in this episode. She's just hemorrhaging blood. In fairness, what they probably should have done is send her right back for the runabout immediately after she was shot and have Worf continue the rest of the mission alone. That's not what they did. Shrug. So I think that's option five at this point of the five things they could have done. Nevertheless, you know, they push forward. There's a great little montage. Uh, they're doing what they can to mask their signatures and trying to sneak through this jungle, and she's just getting worse and worse and worse. She's, tries, she's trying to make light of it. They have the confrontation. Worf hates himself for this doing this. And for just a moment, I was worried, because one of the things fiction likes to do is, okay, I'll try this new thing. And then, like, by complete coincidence, life just smacks them down hard. And then they vow never to be that way again. I'm going to use Simpsons as an example of this. I know that's a weird example, but I forget the episode. This is obviously a much older one. Uh, Marge is taking extremely good care of her kids. She's super on top of everything. And then she's encouraged to take one day off. And on the one day off she takes, everything goes completely awful, and she loses custody of her children to Child Protection Services. Yeah. That is the kind of thing that pisses me off when fiction does it. Oh, I'm going to slip just this one time, and then everything goes incredibly horribly wrong. Even in this episode I just mentioned, it wasn't even being played for laughs. It was a dramatic episode of Simpsons. So, WTF. 
But I'm glad they didn't do that here. As Worf shows, he hasn't actually given up his attempts at jocularity. It's just he's blaming himself for this situation. And I point that out because that's more reasonable, in my opinion. I'd be blaming myself, too, in that circumstance. Worf has incredibly good and honed hunter and warrior instincts. And he was right. He was able to identify where those sounds were and roughly how distant they were very well. And he was able to tell the Jem'Hadar were coming. He just wasn't able to tell as early as he could have if he had been paying more attention. So, yeah, I would blame myself, too. But I don't think he should. He did the best he could, given the circumstances. And, well, like my mom used to tell me, just because you trip doesn't mean you're stupid. I know that sounds like a weird parallel, but how many of us trip and think we're stupid? I do that all the time. So, they have a very heartfelt goodbye. Praise to Terry Farrell. I, I've, I've kind of been, this is going to sound so strange, I've been watching her acting get better over the last couple of years while I've been going through this series. Because early on, she was wooden. You could tell she was new to acting and didn't really know how to do it all that well. But I've been watching Terry Farrell's performance as I go throughout this series, and it, 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 it got good years ago, seasons ago at this point. But it's just, watch this episode and then Emissary, like right next to each other, and just pay attention to her performance. It's night and day. She does a wonderful job, and it's very heartfelt and very heartrending, and like I said, believable. And then Worf goes out and he hears the heartbeat. Now, what I love about this is my first thought was the Klingon hearts that was mentioned back in Cordially Invited, which they then bring up again. All of that, of course, you know, recurring elements, blah, blah, blah. Uh, hell, even the, the Bond program is referenced in this episode. Recurring elements. <laughs> Season 6, recurring elements. But, yeah, he, he decides to go back. And that is interesting. See... It is my opinion that Worf would have made that choice. That Worf would choose the love of his life over, love of his life over his career, his mission, his duty. Even though Worf is really big about honor and duty and all that fun stuff, he is a romantic at heart and he is loyal to the individual more than well, anything else. I have no doubt, none, that if that was Keeler, he would have turned around to save her. He might not even have left. He might have just taken her back to the runabout and saved her life right off the spot, right on the spot, right on the spot. So I buy that. I think part of the advantage here is that Worf has only been in really three relationships across two shows: Keeler, which was like two episodes long; Troy, let's not talk about that one; and Jadzia. It is at the ergo a little bit easier to buy that this is to put bluntly, real, that this is a real, legitimate, you know, in-depth love and romantic connection and friendly connection, familiar connection, that she is more to him than just his girlfriend or even his wife, that she is someone who he truly and honestly connects with, and that helps to sell this moment. Now, I bring all this up because while I absolutely believe Worf would do that for that one special someone, as I've said before, I've never really bought their relationship. And so, I, I actually have a note here, right at the bottom of my notes. It's actually the first thing I wrote down before I even looked at the behind the scenes or before I watched the episode, saying, worst decision, question mark. Because I knew what he was going to do, obviously. 
So I posit the question to you, because it was the same question I just posited to myself. Do you buy the relationship? Do you think it's legitimate? Because if it is, then this all lines up perfectly and makes sense. If you don't, well, then Worf just chose his wife, his girlfriend, basically, over his mission, which is a little out of character at that point. What do you think? Final note before we cut off here. We, this gentleman was offering incredibly invaluable information, including, I might add, how many changelings are on this side of the wormhole. Remember me mentioning that last episode? And where they're doing and what they're doing. I find myself curious, because I don't remember them ever mentioning any other changelings other than the female one. I'm going to have to start paying careful attention, because this is referencing it, but the answer could have been one, for all we know. We don't actually know. Of course, that's the point. The other thing I want to point out, though, is there is this wonderful bit right at the end where Cisco says, look, um, they're not going to court-martial you, but they want to. This is the end of your career. You have just, like, I've said many times that Worf is command material, and frankly, I stand by that, but this has torpedoed the career track for him. He's never going to command a ship or a station. He's probably never going to get a promotion. This is the end of that career arc. Now, for those of you who've played STO, <laughs> maybe certain actions by Worf in STO make a little bit more sense, given the fact that his Starfleet career was over. Just food for thought. Either way, I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on actually a surprisingly good episode. I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would. When I first pulled it up, my first reaction was, which episode is that? And I like flipped through the episode really quick and was like, I don't recognize this. So I pulled up Memory Alpha to get a summary. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember that one. <laughs> uh, now, I remember next week's episode very well. And I remember disliking it. But then I remembered the same thing about this one. So we'll see if my opinion changes on the next one next time. <laughs>